The MotoBreeze chain oiler is powered by wind pressure that automatically adjusts for speed. No electrical or vacuum connections. It delivers oil to your chain with a felt pad that's mounted on your swing arm, which eliminates the problems of exposed nozzles near your sprockets. Get more miles from your chain and sprockets and forget about the messy spray oil. www.motobreeze.com. That's two eyes in there. www.motobreeze.com. Ruth Belcher is passionate about motorcycle riding. She began riding when she was a kid. She says it's in her blood, but when she wanted to return to riding after a hiatus, she was surprised to find that fear had crept in and she had only one way to deal with it. Stay with us to find out more. Also on this episode, we tried a new GPS that we think is a total game changer for motorcycles. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. We got a good one for you. Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made, heavy-duty, innovative luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. Turn any bag into motorcycle luggage with this unique strapping system that's easy to use and switch from one bike to another. And of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is all tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse of adventure riding, which has gained them a top reputation for tough, reliable gear. www.greenchiliadv.com That's www.greenchiliadv.com I'm Sam Manicum. Nick Sanders. Terry Borden. Sandy Borden. Jack Borden. Graham Field. Austin Vince. Jason Spafford. Lisa Murray. David Peterson. Rachel. Ed March. Len Hitstead. Dr. Gregory W. Crazy. Dave Barr. Michelle Lampier. Tiffany Coates. Herbert Schwab. Zoe Cannell. Nathan Millward. Graham Hoskins. Joe Ross. Jeremy Krieger. Simon Thomas. Lisa Thomas. Simon Pavey. Grant Johnson. Robert Wick. Seth Simon. Elizabeth Martin. Carol DeBell. And you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. This episode is brought to you in part by Max BMW Motorcycles that's been outfitting adventure riders since 2002. They've got 45,000 parts and accessories available online and ready to ship to your door at maxbmw.com. And you can also sign up for their e-rider newsletter. It's free and I highly recommend it. That's www.maxbmw.com. Best Rest Products is home of the Cycle Pump Tire Inflator, Tire and Bead Breaker, Easy Air Tire Gauge, and other adventure motorcycle gear. The Cycle Pump runs right off your bike's electrical system. It'll inflate your flat tire in less than three minutes. It's made in the USA, and it comes with a lifetime warranty. And Motorcycle Consumer News Magazine just chose the Cycle Pump as their top pick in a compressor shakedown. Also, Best Rest is a North American distributor for Googletech filters, the filters that should be on your bike. Visit them at www.cyclepump.com. That's www.cyclepump.com. Okay. Hi, my name is Ruth Belcher. I live in Everett, Washington, and I love motorcycling. And through motorcycling, uh, what I love to do is empower, inspire, and um, support women in motorcycling. Ruth, welcome to Adventure Rider Radio. Thank you. Great to be here. So where does motorcycling come from for you? Oh, it's um, deep in my soul. That's where it comes from. I uh, I started riding when I was nine, ten years old, 
back in Kentucky, I, my family, my, my cousin taught me how to ride a motorcycle and I think he had a KE 100, Kawasaki 100. And I learned how to ride on that in the Appalachia, Appalachian mountains in the strip coal mine. So once I got on the bike and I was uh, his passenger and then I said, Oh, enough of this. I want to learn. What is this all about? You know? And then I started riding from there. So did you get into competitive riding or, or is this just riding around on dirt bikes? No, dirt, never competitive. Always just for fun, uh, dirt bikes. Uh, my my grandma, Ruth, uh, bought me my first motorcycle. Uh, I think I was about 11 years old, and it was a Suzuki DS80. And I rode that everywhere. On her farm, you know, they had a big farm, so that was my main source of transportation there and when I lived in Kentucky as well. So I, I just, it's just for fun. Mm. The, the strip coal mine area, that, that must be sort of a haven for motorcycling because I've interviewed other people who have grown up there doing the exact same thing, starting out as yeah. kids riding. Oh yeah, well it's a it's a it's a mecca for for dirt riding because it's it you know it's all chewed up and you know plowed down and the trees are I mean it's just been stripped the area has just been stripped so um, you know you just make your trails and um, and go have fun so yeah it's it's a beautiful way to get started I mean I've always loved riding in Kentucky. How do you transfer from that into street riding? Oh that's a good question. Well, let's see I. Um, I, 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 I bought a 250, a Honda 250. I don't remember the year. I think it was like an, an 87, um, XL 250. And for a long time, period of time, that was my only source of transportation. So, uh, at first, um, you know, I would go out with some friends and we'd ride dirt. We, uh, you know, and I was living in California at the time. So it would be in some of the, like the dried lakes we'd go out to and, uh, ride and some different areas like that, mostly dirt. And then eventually, and not too long after that, uh, it became my only source of transportation. So that's how, for me, it transferred into street riding and, I even, uh, on that 250, I even traveled from LA, uh, to, uh, Tucson. That was my first little trip. I mean, and, uh, um, first long trip on a 250. I, I don't know what I was thinking and I barely had any gear. I just said, you know, I think I want to go see a friend in Tucson and there I went. And, uh, it's something I've just loved to do. So, so you say to, you sort of chuckle about the 250. Are you not into small bikes now? As far as, oh. as far as going in a distance, <laughs> well, no, I, you ride a cruiser now, don't you? I've seen pictures of you on a cruiser. Yeah, I ride everything. I I have I have several bikes. I have, um, yeah, I have a cruiser. I, I laughed at the two fifty because what happened was I ran out of gas twenty miles uh, west of Yuma, Arizona, uh, because I didn't calculate for the elevation change. I guess oh, going up, right. uh, and so I ran out of gas, and that was just not that was not fun. Uh, but however, I had a great uh, guy swing by and pick me up and take me into Yuma. But but no, I've I have right now I have. I have a DR350 uh, that's being worked on, and uh, I'm excited to get that going. I, I ride my son's um, Yamaha 250 XT250. That's a small dirt bike, so I love I love small bikes uh, for dirt, especially. And then I I also have a BMW uh, G650. Uh, so I have I, I just recently rode um, uh, well. To, down to uh, it was um, Medford and had to be repaired or whatever. But uh, I've had that for several years. 
And I have to tell you, Jim, I'm really excited to announce that um, this Sunday I am I'm going to go and pick up. Well, first, before I say that, I also have a Yamaha 1100. So that's the cruiser you see. And I still have that. I love that bike. Yeah. So I have that. And then um, but on on Sunday, I'm picking up um, an R1200 GS in 2015. I'm so I'm so excited. So, yeah. So why they are 1200? You know, it's interesting. So um, I chose the 650 to get back onto dirt. It had been a lot of years since I rode dirt. So I said, you know, I want to I want to do this adventure riding thing. I just love dirt. And I, I want to combine my loves, you know, um, road and, and dirt. And so I got the 650. But what I have discovered is, especially after this trip I took to Tucson, um, it just wasn't enough power on the road uh, for me. And it didn't quite have the pickup. I mean, I love the 650, but I, I ended up riding a friend's bike, um, which was an F 700 and it was a twin. And I said, Oh, I am in trouble. I know (laughs) this is a much more comfortable ride. And then just, and I've ridden, uh, 1200s before, but, uh, on this particular ride, it was just so nice. So I'm ready to upgrade to a bigger bike, um, for the road and maybe off road. I think I'm going to take it off road and, um, give that a good test. And dirt's always been your first love. Is it it not? It has been. It, it it really has. And and I think, you know, I contribute that to learning how to ride a motorcycle really on dirt and in the backcountry. And that's where I just would cut loose and have the best time uh, on my um, my little Suzuki DS80 plus on his KE100. So it was just good times. So for me, yes, dirt is my first love. And like a lot of us, um, there's, you had a period of your life there where you, you didn't ride. And, and I know you and I are the same age. We, we grew up in the same era. Um, yes. Probably went through the same years not riding. Uh, why'd you quit riding? Well, you know, it's interesting. I, um, I basically started a family and decided, you know, as most probably moms and parents decide, you know, that it's probably not a good idea. It's too dangerous. And, and I really need to focus on my family. So I raised my boys and, uh, focused on that for quite a few years. And then, you know, they were grown and out on their own. And I was left thinking, well, what am I going to do now? (laughs) So, so I got back into writing again. So, but yeah. You know, it's so funny because people will often say that's midlife crisis, but, but I don't think that's, that's correct at all because Mm -mm. I think what it is, is we, we get to a point in our life where the kids have gone, you think, okay, well, I'm going to do something for me now. And often if you've grown up riding, if you, if you're riding when you're younger, that's what you sort of do. You lean back and you think, well, I want to get back to that because it was so much fun. Exactly. And and that's exactly right. I, it, I, I knew I was missing something in my life that, uh, I, and, and that was part of it. I just was missing something that was about me. And that was exactly it. I started looking at different bikes and, you know, it never even occurred to me to return to dirt as much as I thought, well, I, I like this cruiser thing. I think I'm going to, you know, I've had several bikes over the years. So don't get me wrong. Like after the 250, I'd owned several, uh, I've owned, had, had a Honda and a, and a Yamaha. So I had other street bikes in, in, and rode other bikes, but um, even when I was raising my boys, I, I, but it just wasn't the priority. And then, um, and then I decided I was going to get this cruiser and went out and I got myself the V star 1100. And I thought, this is, this is good. This is the biggest bike I've ever owned and this is going to be challenging, but let's do it. And so I did. What, What was it like getting back on the bike? Oh, you know, Jim, uh, I have to be, if I were to be really honest, I was scared 
to death. Um, and it's interesting. Some of my, I was, I was afraid of writing. I, and I was surprised by that because I had, you know, I was older. I was not in shape, had gained weight. I was not agile as agile. I had been in early, my early days and I realized, oh, and I had developed some uh, curious fears. I, you know, riding on the freeway, which was so unexpected to me. So, um, so yeah, it was a little difficult sort of acclimating back into the, yeah, I was, I was afraid. Did you expect (laughs) that when you went to buy a bike, you know, you get excited about buying the bike or is that like after you get on the bike and you go, Oh, this isn't what I expected. Right. Yeah. Is exactly. Yeah. Well, that that's exactly what happened. I did not expect it. What what I didn't know when I picked up the bike, um, and I rode it. I think I bought it in Redmond. So I rode it down uh, or th- over the I four hundred five. You know, coming home, and it was about thirty miles, forty miles coming uh, to my place. This is the first time I'd been on the bike in years, and and I saw something is wrong with me or the bike. Well, I come to find out, the tires were really low. But I was scared and nervous, and uh, but. But then I realized, yeah, I was I was afraid to ride on the freeway, and um, I just felt so exposed after being in a vehicle for so long in a car. It was just different. So, um, so what did I do? I think, you know, not a lot of people know this, but um, late at night I would get on my bike and I would go up and down Highway 99. I live in Everett, and so I'd go all the way down as far south, you know, into Seattle as far as I could white knuckle it and then come all the way back north as far north as I could go on 99. And, uh, and I would do it in the dark. I would just, you know, weave in, in and out of traffic. I didn't want anybody to see me because I was probably had the look of fear on my face, <laughs> but, um, but I would do that every night, every other night, hour after hour, I would just get out there and I would just go up and down highway 99 and say, okay, I gotta, I've got to get used to this. Not thinking, Oh, you know, Ruth, why don't you take a a, you know, sort of a getting reacquainted with your motorcycle class. I never even thought to do that. So I was really grateful when I went to go get my endorsement. I thought, oh, do I really need an endorsement? Well, yeah, you know, they require that. Oh, you didn't keep yours from when you were younger. You, you didn't get your street license when you were younger? Um, well, no, actually, I have to be really honest. I, I, I rode illegally in California for quite a few years. Um, I didn't think I needed it. And I did get busted for that. Um, I have to be honest. <laughs> I did get a ticket and they, and that probably, yeah, no. So I, I never, I never did. I never got a endorsement before here in Washington. And maybe it was because I was a young Californian. I, I, I didn't think I needed to. Mm. I was just this arrogance. You Californians. That, you know, California. <laughs> <laughs> that's what you it know? is. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I, I'm not a born native California, but I, I was there long enough to, yes, I, I, I definitely, um, you know, I just, it was never a priority. I just thought I've always rode my whole, I, you know, my whole life. So why do I need one? And uh, that was just, that's just a bad choice. Let's just say that. That was yeah. a bad choice. Well, well the, the reason I asked about the endorsement is because I can picture getting back onto the bike. I know what it's like. You get back on yeah. the bike, you're learning to ride again, but no, you got to go through the test again. Yeah. Oh, or at least yeah. you have to go through the test for the first yes. time. But still, that's that's like adds stress onto stress. Exactly. And you know, and I was so grateful because I asked. I said, "What do I? What bike do I bring? Do I bring this, you know, big monster bike that I just <laughs> acquired?" And you know what was I was really grateful for here in Washington. I don't know what they do anywhere else, but they give you a ninety day permit, and so you take a written test. And um, I took the written test, and they gave me a ninety day permit, which allowed me to get back into the swing of writing again. And so, uh, so I, I did that for a couple of months and then I was ready to do the endorsement. And then I found out that they supply, uh, two fifties to do the, uh, 
class in. And I thought, oh my oh, gosh, that's, yeah, yeah that's nice. a, that's a, <laughs> I could do that. That's no problem. And so I think I, we had a Honda, small, small Honda 250s. Um, there was some other different uh, brands there, but yeah, I was really grateful for that. And I was a little nervous. My biggest challenge with that was stopping in the designated areas that they wanted because I, you know, that was my only challenge. But I actually, I passed with flying colors. So I was very grateful. Oh, that's, that's always nice. That's, yeah, that's, I am no, I am now endorsed. So just so you know. Just so everybody knows, you actually have your license now. You're not doing guess, it illegally that, anymore. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. When you were saying you're riding Highway 99 at night, you're doing that to avoid traffic? Yeah. You know, I did it to avoid, well, I was scared to ride on the freeway. So, uh, uh, I would, I would practically hyperventilate on the freeway and not be able to ride. So, um, so part of that was out of fear and, um, yeah, just to not deal with the traffic, but to also go at a slower speed because I was nervous. But, but I I have to tell you, Jim, even riding on the freeway, after I got my endorsement, I, I had that fear for a while and it, it stuck with me in, in the first year. So why, why bother? Um, like if it's so stressful, why not just pack it in and get rid of the bike? Oh no, it's in my blood. I, 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 because I'd been riding my whole life and, and this fear thing was new to me. Um, I had not experienced it and, uh, I, I didn't know what was happening. And so I think just being older, um, feeling more fragile, you know, and uh, don't want to get hurt and don't, you know, it was all of these things, these fears, but I, but it's in my blood. And so for me, there was no other choice. I, I had to keep on going. But so while you're wrestling with this, you, you mentioned that you didn't think of going back to training. Did you, did you think of looking around for groups of other riders, other clubs or anything <clears throat> like that you could join and get involved with? Well, yeah, actually I did. I did a lot of research and I'll tell you what I did do though. One of the, one of the things, um, I realized is I, I needed, yeah. So I started looking locally and, and I did find a, a group of gals, Western Washington lady writers, and that was a great group. And, uh, I rode with them a little bit, but it just wasn't quite enough. I, I didn't, I, I didn't have the support. I thought not necessarily with this group, but just in general, what I was looking for at a more, um, on a bigger scale. I wanted to ask a more diverse group of women questions I had. There wasn't a lot out there when I started looking. And going back to uh, that fear thing, um, how I got over that, by the way, uh, the fear of, and I don't know if I mentioned this before, but um, I, I took a 4,800 mile trip and I went 10 Western states, 4,800 miles. I did all to, um, off the highway uh, roads, uh, coastal roads, high, small two-lane highways. And I, you know, I did 4,800 miles in, in that. And during that trip, on that last, in the last 300 miles, I, I think there was, of, of all the 4,800 miles, I probably did about 100 on the freeway only because I had to, um, because there was no other way to connect to, to another smaller highway uh, with the route that I was on. But in the end, in out of Rathdrum, Idaho, I basically uh, rode I-90 all the way home at, at the end of that 4,800-mile trip, which was exhilarating, by the way. Nice. Um, so how I got over it the fear of it, I, I decided I was, I forced myself to take this trip to become acquainted with my motorcycle and to put myself in, um, situations unexpected, you know, uh, I just was going to ride and however I was going to do it, 
I was going to make it happen and whatever fear, I was just leaned into the fear. And at the end of that trip, I overcame my fear of riding on the freeway. So that's, that was a big deal. If you were to go back and do it again, and the reason I'm asking Ruth is because somebody else who's listening, you know, might be in the same boat. If you were mm-hmm. to do that again, would you do the same thing? Would, would you do the trip or, or how would you approach it? Yeah, I absolutely would. I, I would do it again. And, and I'll tell you, the only thing that I would change is my is my method of packing. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm notorious for overpacking. So and you on and that everybody first trip, else. <laughs> yeah, right. It's 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 it's, a, it's shameful, really. I can't even tell you. But uh, I'm totally notorious for that. But that would be the only thing I change. But I would not. Absolutely. I plan this route. I, I, you know, in detail, um, of course things happened and there were other routes I took and there were unexpected people I ran into and things that I did. So I, I just, it was a true adventure, but I wouldn't change any of it because I think everything I experienced on that 4,800 miles, good and bad, I ran out of gas, I think twice. Um, and, uh, anyway, but, uh, or I had a vapor lock. That was the other thing. I had a vapor lock and I didn't know what that was. Uh, and that happened in Nevada, but, um, but I wouldn't change a thing, Jim, not one thing. Because nothing can sort of substitute time on the bike miles, basically. I, I mean, I know that geez, if I said that with coach, coach Ramey here, he'd say, well, training, of course, uh, would, would definitely be a, a good component. Of course. Yeah. So training, but on, uh, after training miles, isn't it? It's, it's time on your bike. It's, it's getting acquainted with your bike. It's feeling through all those things that, that it does and your different terrain and your different road surfaces, all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. There's nothing that can replace that. That's absolutely true. I mean, there were uh, a number of conditions that I encountered on the road that I would have never purposely put myself in here at home. And that was the thing is if as long as I stayed in my comfort zone, so as long as I stayed on Highway 99 going up and down, I knew, (laughs) you know, I would not I would not grow and I would not achieve what I really wanted was just to be one with my bike again. And I just didn't, I didn't have that. And so, and that fear stood in the way of that. And I think, um, yeah, I, you're, you're absolutely right. There were, there was winds in Wyoming that took me sideways that I just scared the living daylights out of me. But I, when I got through it and I got into, you know, through, through that section, I thought I celebrated my, you know, that route and, and how scared I was and that I overcame it and that I was capable. And so, yeah, there's nothing like actually being out there in those miles because like I said, I would have never put myself in those situations on highway. Oh, it's raining. Oh, it's a good day. Probably I won't go out. Yeah. <laughs> it's windy. I won't ride, you know, but. You're the founder of Global Moto Adventures. What is that? Yeah. So Global Moto Adventures, that's great. It's, um, well, it's a company I started to basically um, create an opportunity to inspire, empower, and support women in motorcycling, adventure motorcycling, and beyond. And actually, that kind of came from, I started a group, uh, going back to what we said, I didn't have the resources. And so I started a group called Global Motorcycle Adventures of Women Riders on Facebook quite a few years ago. And, um, and And so in starting that, I, it just was having a central location for women to come together and, and share their experiences, talk about their fears. And I wanted to just open that up. And, uh, and so, you know, now, nowadays we have so many groups on Facebook and everybody has so many options, but when I first started, I, I didn't have those options. And so that the name really kind of was sort of, you know, 
derive from from that global moto adventures and my vision is to really bridge you know that global gap that once separated us as uh, motorcyclists women motorcyclists and um and so so I have a lot of different ideas about the company but uh, but really it's the the core mission is to support women in motorcycling. You you said that you you know you wanted it um to sort of bridge the gap between what separates you. How do you mean that? Oh, okay. So really the 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 global gap that separated us. I mean, so for example, women in Pakistan or India or in um, and like in Europe, I, there was not a lot of, for me, there wasn't a lot of connection. I mean, I, and, and at the time, uh, it was just bringing us together, that gap that, you know, bridging that gap and uh, connecting us as on a global scale, women writers. And, um, and so that was the vision for the Facebook group. And actually, I in starting that, um, it's a great little story. I had this vision and I talked to different people and, and I didn't always get a lot of support or people are like, yeah, yeah, that's a great idea. But, um, I'm like, no, no, no. I, I just, I have this vision and, uh, and I had met, um, and spoke with Tiffany. I actually, at this time I had Tiffany Coates as, as you know who she is. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she actually was so sweet and so kind. And I said, Hey, you know, I got this vision. And anyway, it was with her support that I was able to get that started. She, she called me one day or texted me and said, Hey, you know, I'm going to add a few of my friends to this group to help you get started. And she added a hundred women and, and it sort of went from there. So I'm eternally nice. grateful. Yeah. She's just a great woman. So, but, um, so that's kind of how just in that relationship, global moto adventures started. So when it comes to, you know, a group like this on Facebook for women riders, yeah. why not just join the groups that are out there like for male riders? The reason I ask is because I think a lot of male riders will be listening to this and go, well, you know, women are, are welcome to come out with us. What is the advantage of, of having the all women's group? You know, it's a really good question. I, I have discovered and women have talked about and spoke about, um, they like, not that it's not a safe place, but they like their own space. You know, they'd like to be able to ask those questions that they may otherwise feel uncomfortable, um, in a, you know, co-ed forum, or they want to have a women's only space where they can um, share their experiences and openly speak about their fears and not feel judged or look for um, approval. And I've heard a number of things from different women. Um, I feel more comfortable in this group because I don't, um, you know, I don't, I don't feel judged by my male counterparts. I don't, you know, so there's a lot of different things, but also just to give women a space that they just feel safe to, to talk about what they want to talk about and not have, um, outside influence, male influence, not in a negative way. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I just mean, um, you know, they want to just be able to commune with each other and speak about what's at their heart and not, and, and not get that outside opinion, I guess, or be able to openly express what they feel. Yeah. And a lot of times uh, we, we learn differently too, don't we? Like male yeah. and female learn. I mean, not always. I mean, we know there's a lot of crossover between this stuff, but, right. I mean, uh, but, but sort of in a general sense. 
Yes. And I agree. And, you know, and, and I've heard this a number of times, even, uh, in classes and I've witnessed it. Women do learn differently. They physically learn differently, um, on a bike, they respond differently. They have less strength. So they have, have to have, you know, different sorts of, uh, methods of managing their bike than men do. Men can power through certain things and women, they, they learn differently. They, they have physical you know, differences uh, on the bike, not all women, some women would, would uh, disagree with me, I'm sure. But in general, yeah, women learn differently. And they, they have a they'd like to have that forum where they can talk openly and learn from each other. Because I think that that's really the experience. For me, I wanted to learn what other women were feeling. I want to hear other women's stories. I, because I relate differently to women. Um, I am a woman, so I therefore relate differently. I'm, I, I, you know, so, um, while I, I take the great advice of all my male friends and that's wonderful. Um, there's a different component when women are together and they share their stories. They, they connect differently. So how do you use global moto adventures to do that, to, to help connect women with riding? Well, recently we had our second annual Flock to the Rock event. I it's like an that. All- Flock to the Rock. <laughs> you like that? <laughs> yeah. What is that? That is um, all. It's a female-centric motorcycle event. Um, it's the only kind in in the uh, Northwest, really, that I know of, or really on the on the West Coast outside of Southern California. But um, but basically, it's a, an event where uh, women come together and they can inspire each other. They network. It's a it's a place. Uh, well, the event itself. Uh, where do I begin? A couple of years ago, a friend and I were walking on the beach and she says, hey, let's have a ride and, you know, let's have a camp out. And I, you know, and I said, that's a great idea. Let's do it. So as we were, you know, planning this camp out and this ride, um, we were in Cannon Beach. So I don't know if you're familiar with Cannon Beach and Haystack Rock. That's where the name comes from. I kept seeing people flock to the rock. And so that's where um, I had coined that term, um, flock to the rock. And anyway, and, and I saw this as an opportunity while, you know, we were planning this ride and this camp out, I saw it as an opportunity to really um, step into what I have been really visioning for Global Moto Adventures as uh, an opportunity to bring women together and have workshops and have speakers and, you know, learn from one another. And so basically, uh, last year, uh, we had Mary McGee and Dion Hertunian speak. And they're, you know, I don't know if Mary McGee being the first woman to race motorcycling and Dion is a, an incredible adventure writer and artist and travels the world. So they spoke last year and this year, uh, the event doubled in size and, um, we had Elsbeth Beard, Pat Jakes, uh, the women I traveled with in Pakistan speak. We had workshops off an uh, off-road workshop with Pat Jakes. We had a camping, um, seminar and workshop. Basically, you know, women want to know how to better camp or pack their bikes and what they need for camping off their motorcycle. And then we had Aaron Graham give roadside first aid workshop. I mean, so it, it was an extraordinary event. Um, so that's flock to the rock. Eh? And then, and then, uh, what happens is, uh, it also coincides with international female ride day. It's usually the first, well, which is the first weekend of May. And so we also combine, uh, this year we combined, um, all of the events. We extended the dates 
you know, we changed some things around a little bit. And then we have, as we did the year before, we have a, a group ride. And this year it was amazing. So we had about 80, we had 86 riders this year. Very nice. Yeah, I saw some it's, of the photos. It's, it's a lot of people. Yeah, it's And it's all different bikes, isn't it? I mean, you don't care what kind of bike they bring. No, we don't. This this is an event for women, and it doesn't matter. Uh, we have a very diverse group. We have women as young as I, I think we uh, eighteen, as young as eighteen to almost seventy, and we also the same thing last year. And it didn't matter what bike. I mean, adventure bikes, cruisers. We had street bikes. Everything. We everybody was welcome. We even we have a very dear friend of mine uh, rides a Grom. And so she rode down on a Grom and that's the tiny, she got the, <laughs> she, she had the smallest bike and it was impressive. So all the way from Seattle, she rode to Seaside, Oregon. So it's pretty, I'm still, I'm still uh, high from the event. I, um, uh, we're still processing everything and the photos and, um, I'm, I've, we have a lot of, we took a lot of photos and, um, I'm, I can't wait to start releasing some of those. In, over the last couple episodes, we've talked a little bit about um, dwindling riders, you know, in, in the motorcycle industry and how it's uh, the industry's, one of the episodes in particular talked about the industry's inability really to attract new riders and, and women riders. And mm-hmm. do, do, do you think what you're doing is attracting uh, women riders? I, I mean, like, you know, I, I just see in my mind when I think of something like this and I think of an event like Flock to the Rock and, and all these women getting together on their bikes and everything, I picture it as this type of thing that's um, uh, almost an attraction for women women that aren't riders, when they see this, they go, that's pretty cool. You know, do you find that? I absolutely do. In fact, um, I'd love to share a story. We, we have, um, I have a great, uh, group of women that help me staff and volunteers. And this year was a lot bigger and, and, uh, than last year, of course. And, uh, two of the women that, uh, were um, volunteers either through friends or their partner rode. And so they came as volunteers and they wanted to participate and they, neither one of them rode. One of them had experience riding um, many years ago and she dropped her bike. She had a big Harley and she dropped her bike and she shared her story actually this year. And her name is Dee. I love Dee and Ozzy. Uh, she's, Oz, they're both, they work with me on flock and, um, and Ozzy had never rode a bike before. She'd always been a pillion. And uh, and this year, they just a few weeks ago, they got their endorsement. And oh, nice. um, and they and it's really exciting. I, I see. I get so excited about this because I do think that events like this and uh, when women come together, that's the power in sharing our story and is that we inspire those who think, you know, maybe it's too dangerous or, man, I dropped my bike. I don't know if I can do this again. But when, when you get out there and you watch all of these other women, we, ha- we have a lot of women that have physical challenges, um, other, other types of challenges, and, they, and they, are, they are coming back to writing or they have found writing again or, you know, it just sort of – yeah, so Dee and Ozzy in particular, they just got their endorsement and, and they contribute – you know, being a part of the event last year and being inspired by some of the women um, that that inspired them to go on and and do their endorsement and uh, get their endorsement, excuse me, and start writing. So I'm really so I so yes, I agree. I think that it does um, really bring women into writing and. 
And it's great at a couple levels because one, you're getting people, women look at this and th- maybe it's something they haven't even thought of, but doing before. And they think, okay, well, it's, it's possible. It's doable because they're seeing you guys do it. But on the other hand too, the other level I'm thinking of is that um, just the, the woman's position in the average family, boy, you get a, a mom riding pretty soon. I, I'm talking about, you know, keeping yes. the industry going, you get a mom riding and all of a sudden that opens the doors for everybody to ride. I mean, mom's doing it. Okay. Let's all do it sort of thing. That absolutely. I mean, I'm going to get my grandsons in this and my son's right. So I, as a mom, I, I know, you know, exa- I think that's absolutely true. Do you have some tips for, for women that maybe have thought about riding, but are, are scared, you know, maybe they think it's just not for them or beyond them, or, or maybe they think they're too old or whatever, all those thoughts that I, I think a lot yeah. of us have. Do you have tips for that? I do. You know, um, what I, I would say, I have several. One, I, I would highly advise um, which I did not do this. So this, <laughs> I, I would highly advise before getting on a bike or I mean, going and buying a bike, get, take a dirt class. Um, one of the things that um, I find is I think if you take a dirt class, it really teaches you how to maneuver a bike differently, um, unexpected conditions. You know, you get used to the feeling of the bike slipping and sliding out from underneath you and, uh, and you're on a smaller bike. You're on a bike that you can manage uh, Oftentimes, I know a lot of different places, you know, several different uh, places that I, I go to train. And so I say, number one, um, don't go out and buy that big bike. Don't go out and buy, you know, anything. Take a class, take an endorsement class, because that's a whole lot less expensive to invest in. You know, that class, I, I don't know what they're running these days, but either the motorcycle uh, off-road class or uh, get take an endorsement class. And then you get a sense of, okay, is this for me or is this not for me? And, um, and don't, don't let the salesperson, and number two, don't let the salesperson talk you into a bike that you're not comfortable with uh, or yeah. your partner, um, your spouse, whomever, uh, your friend, uh, because they want you on a big bike to keep up with them. You know, don't do that. Don't buy, buy a, you know, and if, if you're out there looking and you're, and you're, and you're doing that, f- find the bike that fits you and fits your skill set because you can always get a different bike. You can always upgrade. Um, but, uh, when you're learning and you are starting out and you're, um, you know, sort of getting familiar, you, you need to build your confidence. And the way you do that is you have these small successes. And uh, each and every time you, like with me, you know, just going through that windstorm, man, that was, you know, hmm. so, um, so have these small successes. So you build your confidence. And that's really important. Uh, so one, I would get training, I, whether you have a you have a love for dirt. You always wanted to ride dirt or you just go street riding. Just take a class. Um, it's much cheaper than buying a bike and then deciding you don't want the bike. Um, then, uh, when you do go and buy a bike, make sure it's something that suits your skill set and, um, and what you're comfortable with. Don't try to keep up with your spouse. Um, you know, Hey, get a, get this 1100 or get this big bike, 1200, whatever. I know somebody who rides, several people who probably ride huge bikes that are, they probably should be on, on a, just a smaller bike there. You, you, it's visibly uncomfortable, you know, mm-hmm. and the confidence isn't there. And, um, and that just, 
and and it's because somebody bought it or talked them into it or, you know, one of their spouses, Hey, get this bigger bike. And, uh, so I've seen that all in anyway. So I've seen that, but, uh, yeah. And ask questions. So three, I mean, feel free to ask questions. Don't, there are no stupid questions and, uh, talk about your fears, grab somebody who has a little experience or, you know, talk with, get involved with women's groups. I'm very involved in many different groups. Um, that's a great way. Start asking, questions, get involved. You don't have to have a motorcycle. Now, some motorcycle clubs and uh, groups and contingents require you to have a motorcycle to join or participate. You know, ask me, I can, I can lead you in the direction of, of groups that don't require it, but that you can still participate in the events and ask questions and talk to women and, um, and, you know, just feel more comfortable with those things by just reaching out. Yeah, that should almost go at the top. I don't think you gave those in order, but that's almost like the first thing you want to do, isn't it? Get in there, join some groups, make some friends, start talking to people because you'll get so much information. Like you mentioned about buying the wrong bike. I mean, that's such a classic mistake, no matter whether you're buying a motorcycle or a surfboard. Uh, you know, you, right. if you walk into the shop and you don't know what you want, they don't know what you want. They're just going to try and sell you something and you, and you can't really blame them for doing it. They're going to size you up quickly and try and fit you into something and, and get you out the door. They can only spend so much time on it. But if you join the group and, and you know, if, if you're a woman looking to ride and you join a women's group and talk to other women who have been there and done that and experienced yes. what you may be, then yes. you're just going to be so much further ahead. Absolutely. I totally agree. I mean, yeah, exactly. And so, and ask questions, ask, 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 and don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to show up. Uh, I mean, I, I, like I said, I, I ride with so many different groups of women riders and I have such a diverse group of ladies that I ride with that I don't even think about the style of bike or any of that, but absolutely join a group, ask questions, you know, contact me. I'll, I'll, I'll send you in the right way, you know, on, uh, send you on your way in the right area, uh, with, uh, the different lady groups in your area. So how do you end up riding a Royal Enfield over the highest motorable pass in the world? Oh, well, that's a dream come true is what that is. <laughs> oh, Jim, that, you know, that's so interesting. Okay. So that plays into part of, oh man, I got to overcome some fears. And I, I have always wanted, since I was a very young girl, second grade really, um, wanted to go see the Taj Mahal. That was a dream of mine. And, um, I never thought it was possible. I was just a girl, you know, in Kentucky and Ohio. I never, ever imagined that that would be me. I could do that. And, um, and one day I had heard about this woman named Tiffany Coates. Somebody posted something in this group and it said, ride over the highest modable pass, um, with Tiffany, the world's foremost leading female solo rider, Tiffany Coates. I said, Oh my God, that's it. Like, that's what I got to do. And I thought, Oh, well, how am I going to get there? I got to fly. I'm afraid of flying. I'm, I'm anyway, but <laughs> I'm afraid of flying. I'm afraid of heights. Like, oh shit, what am I going to get myself into here? But no, I I just knew like that that's a dream come true. And um and so I basically contacted Tiffany and uh and you know and we started talking and she had this trip coming up. It was, she had already, I, there was the first trip and I missed it by two weeks. They had shifted some dates or whatever and missed it by two weeks. I couldn't take that uh, inaugural trip that she took these ladies over, but I made it the second year. And how do you do it? I, um, 
you know, I just leaned into my fear. I said, I'm going to over, if I'm going to go to India, I got to get over this fear of flying and this is how I'm going to, I'm just going to do it. And, um, and I, I worked through it and I, you know, and then you end up on this, on these amazing roads in this amazing country. I, I can't remember exactly how many women were in our group. I think we were about 12 women. 12 or 13 women. Um, and, uh, it, it was extraordinary. And Tiffany is such an amazing writer. So, uh, that's how it happened. I, I mean, I, I don't even know what to say about it. It's extraordinary. It changed my life really, because outside of Canada and Mexico, I never traveled. So it was culture shock for me to, to do that. But, but, uh, to go over the highest motorable pass in the world, 18,300 and I believe 80 feet, uh, if I remember correctly. <laughs> on a Royal Enfield. Uh, yeah. the, was that fuel injected or is that a carbureted? Uh, no, carbureted. carbureted uh, I, yeah. Um, I think I had, I think most of them, I, we had a couple maybe that were fuel injection, but I think most of them are carbureted. Yeah. Right. Just to add to the thrill of the whole thing, you've got to deal oh, with man. that. Right. And, you know, I'm not a skinny chick here. So, you know, a little extra weight on the carbureted engine going uphill. But uh, <laughs> it was uh, challenging. But you know what? Actually, actually, I love the Royal Enfield. I, I was on a Royal Enfield uh, 500 Classic and Classic 500. And um, I rode that thing like a dirt bike, Jim. That was amazing. Um, we encountered all conditions there uh, that, you know, we we had s- some snow. We had um, we had we had different conditions, uh, dirt roads. I mean, it was like riding off road a lot of the time and sand. It was everything. It was everything you, you imagine really for road conditions. We had it. Uh, that was the other thing I was preparing to go to India and I knew there would be water crossings. I had a huge fear of water crossings. So, (laughs) so so I got on my G650 and I'm like, I am going to do some water crossings. Like I've, so went out to Eastern Washington. I forced myself to face these fears that, you know, um, but anyway, that's how you end up. You know, Tiffany Coates, she's still doing tours over there. And I think she, I don't, I think she's got one coming up. So, um, that was extraordinary. For those who don't know, Tiffany Coates is a, is a motorcycle guide and traveler. We had her on the show quite some time ago now, actually, I was just thinking about that. I was trying to remember how far back it was that we had Tiffany on, but, uh, yeah, extraordinary rider and very, very experienced. So you're, you're lucky to be out with her. Oh yeah. She, it was a great team and we had some, you know, we had good support and, um, you know, support staff and it was just quite the experience. And like I said, I've never traveled outside of uh, the U S um, and, and to go to India was a huge culture shock for me. And spiritually it was, um, also, you know, seeing the Taj Mahal was a, a lifelong childhood dream that, um, I just couldn't even begin to tell you. I just would I'd probably weep talking about it, but <laughs> it was, that was extraordinary as well. So Ruth, it's been great to talk to you. Thank you very much. Gosh, thank you, Jim. This it's an honor. Thank you for having me on your show. Thank you. I've been speaking with Ruth Belcher, and you can find out more about what she does at her website, www.globalmotoadv.com. And that link will be in our show notes. Love you, baby. Although I probably shouldn't. I tried to leave you once. Well, you know, I just couldn't. My love is strong. You know, I can't restrain it. I don't believe it's wrong, even though I can't explain it. 
If you believe it's a sin, I hope you can find it in your heart to forgive it. We only get this life we're in. I think we owe it to ourselves to live it, yeah. We're going to take just a quick break and be right back and talk about a GPS that is a total game changer, at least in my opinion, after trying it. I was riding my KLR one time down a a sort of a a dirt road. Well, it's a trail, really. Sort of a two-track. And uh, it had rained, and there was a bunch of water on the roads. There were some pretty good puddles there. I was splashing through some puddles, and I think I got a little excited because I hit the puddle a little bit faster probably than what I should, but nothing nothing extravagant. What really shocked me was I went through the puddle, and the, the tire blew the water up in such a way that it actually blew my feet off the foot pegs. You know why that happened? Because my foot pegs were rubber. They were the stock foot pegs. You got to get rid of those. You got to get yourself a quality set of foot pegs. And IMS Products is not only a sponsor of this show, but they also make incredible foot pegs for adventure motorcycles, just like the one you're riding and the one I'm riding. I'm using their pegs now. I'm telling you, they make all the difference. Not just a wider peg, a well-designed peg. 16.4 cast certified stainless steel, made in the USA, warranted for life. You will not go wrong replacing your stock foot pegs with a quality set of IMS pegs. Drop by their website, www.imsproducts.com. Have a look at what they've got there to offer. They've got everything from a slightly larger peg to a huge peg. www.imsproducts.com. And of course, when you're dealing with them, definitely throw a name in there. Let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Off-Grid Moto designs and manufactures adventure-specific motorcycle luggage. They make them in the U.S. totally on-site, which means they can do changes to them and repairs, etc., all right on-site. Small outfit, making really slick-looking bags. These are soft bags with roll tops on them, lots of strapping on them to fasten other things. In the Molly system, which is the, uh, the military measurement system where you can strap on other bags to it, they're um, water-resistant bags. It look extremely tough, really high-quality stitching. And they've got a bag on their front page there that I like a lot called the Chadwick 30-liter Adventure Luggage. Uh, again, the Molly system, and they're made with 1,000 denier uh, fabric with a two-layer water-resistant coating. They've got a universal mounting system and a pass-through system to allow for multiple attachment locations and off-bike carrying. So a large capacity for multi-day travel. If you're into soft luggage, even if you're not, you might want to look at these because you, you might get convinced. The website is www.org offgridmoto.com the www.offgridmoto.com of course when you're speaking with them throw in our name say you heard them here on adventure rider radio When it comes to using a GPS for motorcycling, more and more riders have been turning to their cell phones to act as guidance and GPS. And of course, cell phones have lightning fast processors and large screens, makes them ideal for navigation. And throw into that a waterproof case and uh, voila, you've got a motorcycle GPS. You've got your, your phone message system, even your camera all in one. 
tough to compete with a proprietary setup. And while some GPS manufacturers have been creative by adding features like road warnings or voice guidance and other things to endear the proprietary GPSs, most still seem to be using slow processors and clunky interfaces, all of which makes it increasingly difficult to justify the expense of a dedicated GPS. And year after year, the big GPS makers have seen their market share slip down as the new specialized smartphone navigation apps appear almost monthly. And it leaves us riders asking ourselves, why do we want to shell out the money for a proprietary GPS when we already own a smartphone that can handle the task? Well, there's a new GPS for motorcyclists that has taken the dying concept of the dedicated GPS unit and reinvented it into a useful tool that not only functions as a GPS, but as an interface for your motorcycle as well, or ATV or UTV or Jeep for that matter. But what makes this unit really stand out is the ability to track your buddies in real time on your screen directly. No cellular, no satellites, direct. And that feature alone is worth the price of admission to me. Meet Trailtech's Voyager Pro. Uh, the Voyager Pro is a, a flat, roughly smartphone size unit that attaches with RAM mounts um, to your motorcycle. It's powered with an internal battery as well as your, your vehicle battery. And uh, it will charge the battery as you're riding. It can monitor all the usual stuff you know, your ground speed, location, etc. But it also has sensors for engine RPM, temperature, ambient temperature, even belt temperature on a UTV or an ATV. And it's got multiple screens that you can scroll through showing all types of data like battery voltage, um, which is particularly great if you're running auxiliary lights or heated gear. Um, and of course, your direction, your elevation, trip meter and hour meter, which you program to your bikes. So in other words, if you've got so many hours on it, you program it in and it keeps track of it there for you. You can also pop an SD card into it, load your uh, GPX tracks, your waypoints, even music that you can play through two different headsets for one for you and one for your passenger. And the rider and passenger, the driver and passenger can even answer calls independently of one another um, through this unit. One of the other nice features with this is it, um, it it connects two Bluetooth headsets that are not matching. So if you've got a Senna and somebody else has something completely different, um, you use this unit, this uh, Trailtech Voyager Pro, as a hub to communicate between those two devices. So it's very cool. So Trailtech contacted us a while back and asked if we were interested in giving this unit new unit a try. And, and to be honest. I wasn't that excited about it because it was a GPS unit. But after I looked at the material that they sent, I realized that this is a, a huge departure from a, a dedicated GPS unit because it includes so much more. And that one feature that really grabbed my attention, that was the buddy feature. So the buddy feature uses radio communication between units to track your buddy or a group of buddies while you ride. And if you've ever ridden in a group on a dusty road, which I'm sure you have, even just another person on a dusty road, then you know the problem that are associated with that. The more riders, the worse the dust, and then you all need to spread out because the dust is so thick, and then you find yourself having to stop and wait at intersections for the next person to catch up. What I love about this unit is you don't have to do that. You can look at your screen to see where your buddies are, and it's got a little icon that lights up. Really a, a slick uh, unit, I think. 
Now, our units were supplied by TrailTech for us to test, but of course, we didn't give any promise of what was going to be said about them. So this is a first-hand sort of honest experience that that we've had trying this thing out. And right out of the box, it was an impressive unit. It came off with um, with two different options for mounting. One was the ball mount uh, by RAM, and, and their system is designed to work with RAM mounts, which is great. And they also supplied a couple of proprietary mounts that they have set up to mount right to two different size bars, which is the one that I used. It's got connectors for ignition and batteries, as well as a pickup for attack. Um, and you and you can order bike specific units. So when you when you phone up to order it, you can actually choose your bike, and then you'll get the the sensors that are meant for your bike. And I didn't really hook anything up on mine because I already have attack and I've got thermometer and whatnot. And I w- wasn't worried about it. What I was interested in is the actual GPS unit, and in particular the buddy feature. Um, has a small radio antenna that it comes with that you mount on your motorcycle, and that transmits and receives your signal. And um, I have to tell you that I found that buddy feature to be just incredible for the motorcycle, both on and off road. Um, on road, it was really easy. You know, when you're riding along, you go through an intersection and you're wondering if your buddy got caught by the light, how far back is he? Or, or where did she go? Did she make the wrong turn? Well, you just look on your screen and it shows you exactly where they are. And if, when you lose contact, when you go out of the range, obviously it has a range, um, it shows you their last known location. So you can actually go back to that. So I think the, the buddy feature feature is a fantastic tool for dusty roads and trails and and even road riding. Now, of course, there were things I didn't like about it. There were some software design items, some of which they may be changing, and others that are, are that way for a reason. We're going to talk about that coming up. But the great thing is they're refining the new systems. And even if you get your unit now, um, you're, they'll update it, and you get all the updates. So these units that we have will be able to update when they bring out their, their latest versions of the software. But right now, as they're working, they're really, really nice units. Now... They come with topographic maps. I think the U.S. ones are already loaded onto the units. You can download them for Canada and the rest of the world. They're all available there from their website. So to talk more about the unit, I'm going to talk with Joshua Barton, who is the brand manager for Trail Tech, and Travis Chambers, who is the senior mechanical engineer. Yeah, my name is uh, Joshua Barton. I'm the brand manager here at Trail Tech. We're located in Battleground, Washington. Uh, my name is Travis Chambers. I'm senior mechanical engineer for Trail Tech here in Battleground, Washington. Travis, Josh, welcome to Adventure Rider Radio. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Let's start off first, though, just talk about Trail Tech. And uh, either one of you just, just give sort of a rough overview of what Trail Tech is. Yeah, so Trail Tech was founded in 2001 by Jeff and Kelly Watton uh, right here in Battleground, Washington, actually out of their garage. And then in 2005, uh, we moved into our new facility. Um, Trail Tech was founded uh, due to the fact that uh, the founder, uh, Jeff, couldn't find a good speedometer uh, for his, uh, his off-road uh, riding. And really, that's where Trail Tech was, was birthed um, in the off-road two-wheel motorcycle segment. And that's where we've grown. Um, we're model-specific in our fitments. Um, we've we developed gauges hard parts uh, for the aftermarket. And then right around 2010 timeframe, we started pushing into the more at the factory, the OEM uh, segment with KTM, and then moved into uh, working with other OEMs like Honda and Polaris. And in 2016, we were actually acquired by Polaris in March of 2016. So we are now a Polaris uh, wholly owned uh, company. 
uh, our focus has really shifted uh, to developing uh, gauges, instrumentation for off-road uh, and on-road vehicles. We we started in the two-wheel off-road. Uh, we're moving now into the adventure and the UTV side-by-side segment. And then we will be, uh, as we grow, uh, definitely can see opportunities on the street and uh, in the truck segment. Just give a brief description of what the Voyager Pro is and what it's aimed at. Well, the Voyager Pro is really a step up from our Voyager gauge. Our Voyager GPS is a 2.7 inch um, monochrome uh, screen with basic tracks and routes uh, on on the map. And so what the Voyager Pro gives you is using uh, open street maps, uh, you get color maps uh, with details, uh, uh, topography, um, hill shading, and it's still more of an off-road focused GPS. So there's in the current release that we have on the market, there there is not the ability to do turn by turn navigation, uh, but it it gives you the tracks and routes which you can import uh, using a GPX uh, file format. Um, and really, when when we launched Voyager Pro, one of the signature features is our buddy tracking. And Travis, I'll let you talk a little bit about the buddy tracking feature. Sure. So one of the things that we identified as a need is um, the ability to know where everybody in your riding group is at, particularly when you're out riding in an area with no cell service and remote destinations, uh, no access to basic services and whatnot. Um, Having the ability to see the other riders on the map is very beneficial. So we spent a long time developing a... um, a new radio, basically, um, method of communicating the GPS location between multiple users. So the way that the Voyager Pro is set up, if you've got multiple Voyager Pro devices in the same area, you can join a riding group of up to 20 users, and everybody else in the group will show up on your map so you can see their location. And if you get into trouble, you can activate an emergency beacon, which will cause your icon to turn red and flash on everyone else's screen, signaling that you need help. So we've, we found a lot of benefit in this feature by uh, you know, allowing users to spread out, getting out of each other's dust trail. You don't have to spend time waiting at a trail intersection for someone else to catch up before you go down the next leg. So it's, it's a really a game changer in the, the way that we ride. We've talked in this show about GPS many times, and we've done reviews on different GPS. We had the, the Garmin unit, uh, the 395, I think was the last one that we ended up doing. But what we've found is that there's always a, a debate between what do you need a GPS unit for? Why would you want a proprietary GPS when you have your smartphone that's a nice size screen? You can put it on your dash, you can download the maps to it and, and navigate just as good, if not better, than a lot of the proprietary units. But what you guys have done here is you put so much stuff in, in my mind, you've reinvented really what a proprietary GPS is and come up with a, a whole new sort of must-have unit. And so the unit itself, it's not only a GPS, but you've got other screens that you go through and you've got um, different sensors that you can put on. Yeah, I think for us, uh, vehicle integration has always been absolutely critical for, for our users. 
So you mentioned, uh, well, you could just use your cellular device. The problem with that is uh, who wants to strap on a, you know, now uh, up eight, upwards of $800 to $900 cellular device on, the, on, a, on their off-road uh, motorcycle and go barreling down the trail. I mean, it's, it, you know, to me, there's a lot of risk. There. So we've developed a, you know, a rugged display uh, that, uh, you know, IP67 uh, rated, no problem in the weather. And if it falls off, uh, it's, it's strong enough to withstand impact. And then as you mentioned, all the different screens. So you have, you know, your, your tack screen, so you can see your speed, you can see your RPM. You, you obviously have a screen you're gonna live on is, is your map screen. Uh, but then you have some user customizable screens. So where you can go in, you can select the data that you want to see uh, for your ride. Um, and, then, and then, you know, what's really kind of neat with this gauge and something we haven't even touched on here yet uh, is our the media screen. So, you know, it'll pair up to uh, two phones and two uh, headsets. So if you're riding two up, uh, you can use the Voyager Pro as your hub to connect you and your riding uh, partner. If, uh, if you just want to listen to your music, you can download song files uh, through the SD card port and you can listen to your music and, and have it uh, go right through the GPS device. So you can put your phone away. You don't have to worry about it. So for us, it's, it's really critical um, to give the riders a full experience and to allow them to put their you know, their cell phone away and, and just use one device, uh, on their ride. And I mean, some people may argue and say, well, I could put my cell phone in, in a waterproof device, but, but we're going to blow that out of the water here because there's so many other things with it. Basically this unit is roughly the size of, I guess, a large cell phone. Um, the unit has physical buttons on it, which you don't have on a cell phone, which are so important if you're going to do anything while you're riding. And obviously, you know, you don't want to be doing this on the street, but if you're, you know, on the, on the dirt or even in a situation where you can work the unit, physical buttons make all the difference um, when you have those to press for, for certain things. The screen on it, the daytime viewing is excellent. This is a bright screen um, that is easy to see in, well, just about everything we tested it in. Um, actually, no, I should say everything we tested it in. It, it's been a bright, really good looking screen. Whereas the cell phone, if you compare them side by side, which we did, you can see the cell phone is very difficult to read in certain situations. Um, as far as the screens go, I just wanted to, to just quickly list the screens. There's a cluster screen, attack screen, map, user, media, stopwatch, and then the GPS satellite screen to show you how, how well you're receiving. I was very interested when this unit was brought to our attention in the buddy feature. I thought, well, interesting but i mean how far can you actually get how um how good is this thing going to be but the buddy feature is actually surprisingly good because the the distance is i, I think you guys say it's um i think you say up to or anything from a half a mile to a mile and a half yeah that's the range we you know that we sh we share publicly on our site i you know it really depends on the terrain um you know you can get more and if it's super rugged, uh, you could get less. But one of the unique features of buddy tracking is if you're in, you know, a group of more than uh, two riders, uh, it, it'll mesh. So it'll go through the next rider to the next rider. So if if the the, the guy in front of you is getting a signal from the guy in front of him, 
you're going to get signal from the guy all the way at the front. So that's that's a unique uh, part of the technology that Travis and the team uh, developed for us. So through the mesh technology, you're going to see people that are completely out of your range still on your screen, just as if they were close, if you've got people in between that are all connected. I, I was going to say, as long as you keep a, uh, a point-to-point connection between two riders, the, the data will flow through the network group. Right. So the interesting thing about this is it's you've designed it for off-road, but what we found very quickly was on-road, it is fantastic because it saves you having to do that thing when you're riding along of pulling over and waiting for your buddy because you don't know if they got caught at the light. You don't know where they are. Whereas with this setup, you just look down at the screen and you can see your buddy there. You can see how far they are away. Um, and you can also spot if they're moving or not. Can you talk about the features, Travis, uh, of the of the buddy when you're looking at that buddy eye? What can it tell you? Sure. So primarily it'll show you the position of the buddy um, on the map, and that's real time and updating between every one to four seconds, depending on the size of the group. Um, You can turn on a tail for your buddy, which will show the last three or four positions that have been received from the buddy. So as they're moving, the tail will get longer. As they slow down, the tail will get shorter. And if they come to a dead stop, the tail will go to zero because the point will be in the same place each update. Um, So that'll quickly at a glance show you if everyone is still moving or if somebody is stalled or having a problem. Um, the other feature that I mentioned earlier is the emergency beacon. So if you do have an issue, you can flag to the rest of your riding group that you need help. Um, but yeah, I, I think going back to your original point, the way that this changes the way we ride in a social setting is that you don't have to stop and wait. You don't have to check the status of everybody else around you manually. You can just look at the screen and see that everyone is still moving. So. You can be separated by a few traffic lights or by a few turns, and it doesn't affect you know, the group's ability to still continue traveling as a whole. And another thing I noticed about it was that when you lose connection with your buddy, when you've went too far, it leaves their icon on the screen at the last available position. Yes, and uh, we, we specifically did that so that if someone does have you know, a, a crash or a, a, an event where the unit gets damaged, um, you can still know what the last location they were at um, to go back and look. Um, So it's kind of a safety feature. What radio frequency does it use? It doesn't use Bluetooth, does it? No, it uses a sub-gigahertz frequency. Um, It's around the 900 megahertz range, but it frequency hops. So it, um, it, it jumps frequency to frequency fairly quickly within a band. Is that looking for free space? No, it, um, It allows us to use more power than we could if we stayed at a single band. Um, Due to the way that the radio regulations are written in the U.S. and in Canada, um, if you jump frequencies on a regular interval, you can transmit with more power, which lets us get more distance. And is it digital, the communication back and forth? Yes. Okay. So the um, the buddy system is amazing. It's, it sets it apart. Like I said, it goes for the street. The one thing I was thinking, and you sort of, uh, I think Josh said it at the start, was talking about potential uses in the future. Are there any plans to come out with um, street maps and street guidance for it? Yeah, so that's actually something that our team was pursuing. They were going down the path uh, on uh, on the turn-by-turn and and points of interest to, to get the, the device launched in a more timely manner. We had to... Uh, postponed some of those releases, but those are still obviously. Uh, I mean, they've we've gone down the path. Um, you know, we're 
we're definitely planning that for future releases. So if you can imagine, Voyager Pro is like the foundation of our platform. And, you know, as we move forward into uh, new markets, especially, you know, as we mature in the adventure market uh, segment, there's going to be some features that we're going to need uh, to, to add to just make the entire experience uh, that much better. Now, you mentioned about the, the media screen there. When, when I first saw the unit, I thought, okay, well, interesting little thing, but probably wouldn't be of much use. But as soon as I plugged in, I decided to load some music onto an SD card and plugged in. I thought, this is great <laughs> because it saves me all the hassle. There's something about physical um, buttons or buttons on a screen that you can see that are right there so that, that make it so much easier to use. So with the music, you can you can look on your screen. It tells you what song it's playing. Are, are there plans to sort of refine this some? Because it doesn't have a shuffle and it starts at the same song each time that you, you tend to replay things. So I'll speak to that one. I, I think that our intent here is more to make the device a hub. Um, I, I don't know that we necessarily intended to have a very robust playback feature from the micro SD. We assumed that most users would probably be playing media via Bluetooth from the phone. Um, and and from that point, you can detail all your controls from the device that's streaming to Voyager Pro. Um, but if that's something that we get a lot of user requests for, obviously that's something that we could implement. Yeah, I think your point on the shuffle is is well noted. It's something that we've talked about. Um, if, you know, as Travis mentioned, if you're Bluetoothing through the phone, obviously that's not a concern. But if you're taking a list of songs, then uh, the shuffle becomes more of a more of a need. Um, so that that's something that we've already uh, discussed internally uh, as a future uh, feature that we'd like to to add. So one of the the things that I found that I I didn't understand why it was designed this way was the buttons are on the right hand side for changing you know up and down as you well, there's, there's buttons on both sides but the ones on the right hand side is the one you want to get at to change through the screens. Why is that? I'll let Travis take that one. Sure. Um, traditionally, we've had. Um, a healthy debate on how to arrange the buttons and the features. Um, I think we came to the conclusion that most people are going to go to a screen and select a screen for while they're actually moving and riding um, and may want to do things like turn tracking on and off quickly. Um, so we put the, the enter and back buttons on the left-hand side so that they could be accessible while your hand is still on the throttle, which will allow you to um, pause and resume recording a track and to, um, you know, uh, if you get a notification, you can accept or cancel a notification without removing your hand from the throttle. And that left us the other two buttons, uh, which would be your screen changing buttons on the, on the throttle hand side. And obviously for us, part of that debate is, you know, we really want to, uh, we don't want our unit to become a distraction. You know, I think that, you know, safety is, is so critical. And, you know, if it's super simple to just be playing with it while you're riding, that's also a, that's not a good deal for us. So, um, you know, we, we want it to be uh, intuitive, uh, but uh, safe at the same time. Now, you'd mentioned about the, the different sensors that it can have, and we talked about the, I listed the screens. Um, what can it do? It can do um, 
RPM, uh, engine temperature. Mm-hmm. Can you run through a, sort of a quick list of that? Yeah, you can see your voltage. You can see your temperature. Um, obviously, your your tack. Um, uh, if you're running it on a UTV, uh, you can see your CVT belt temperature. Um, Travis, am I missing anything there? Yeah. So uh, input wise, it'll have power, speed from wheel or GPS, tachometer, one external temperature input, which can be either engine or CVT, water temperature, oil temperature. Um, it'll have ambient air. And we also have a, a CAN input. So for um, because we're owned by Polaris, if you hook it up to some of the Polaris vehicles, uh, we can just take all the vehicle info directly from CAN without having to install discrete sensors. Mm. And then on top of that, we can do several calculated um, data points such as odometer distance, trip odometers, ride timers, engine hours, maintenance intervals, um, those sorts of things. Now there's um there's one other feature that I found was the message feature and and you talked about Josh you talked about distractions you don't want distractions which I think is excellent to note um, as we're riding we don't want to be certainly on the street we don't want to be looking down at um, our units and messing with them at least maybe a glimpse down but not messing with them but there's a feature on here that tells you when a message comes in to your smartphone now what I liked about this was that it tells you there's a message it doesn't I don't believe it gives you the message to read and it gives you a little orange indicator so that when you glimpse down you can spot that you've got a message on your phone and then find a place to pull over and check it. Yeah, that's, that's very purposeful. Uh, we want you to be able to see that, you know, something has come in. Um, if you go to the media and you click on your messages icon, you can see the message. You cannot reply to the message from, from the device. Um, you can make call, you know, similarly with your phone, uh, you know, you can, you can actually call out of the device um, uh, but yeah, you can see that you got a message in, you can even read the message if you go into the message screen, but from that front screen, you're right. It'll just be an icon that will flash. And then when you have a break, you pull over to refuel or, uh, uh, for whatever reason, y- you can go and check your messages on your phone. So. Well, I think you guys have done an amazing job and it'll still be developing as you go, I gather. Oh, absolutely. This is this is our first uh, release. Uh, we have a new software uh, release coming out, which will fix some uh, bugs that have been found and uh, and just make the unit more robust and also add some uh, some features. And, and then we're planning within the next five months to have a revision two, where we would uh, release a more robust set of firmware with some of these additional features that we wanted to launch uh, with the first unit, but just did not have the time to do so. Um, And like I mentioned before, I mean, really, this is our foundation. uh, So we're building on this. The nice thing about the Voyager Pro device is if you you buy it today, uh, you'll be able to uh, rev it uh, going through our website, just doing a software update. So any of the new releases you'll put on on this this piece of hardware. So that's really important to us. 
Well, as I said, amazing job. I mean, I think this thing just, um, it's reinvented the uh, the proprietary GPS, and I think it's made into a fully integrated and useful tool that we should all have and probably will send your competitors running <laughs> back to their design tables because um, they're going to have to do a lot of running to catch up to this. Josh, Travis, thank you very much. Thank you very much for the thank opportunity. You, yeah. I've been speaking with Joshua Barton and Travis Chambers from TrailTech, and you can find out more by visiting their website, www.trailtech.net. And of course, that link will be in the show notes. And by, and by the way, we're going to have some photographs and uh, probably a video um, in the show notes for this episode on this device. So drop by the website, our website, and have a look at what we've got there. I just want to remind you this episode was made possible for you today in part by Max BMW Motorcycles at www.maxbmw.com, Best Rest Products at www.cyclepump.com, Green Chili Adventure Gear at www.greenchiliadv.com, and Moto Breeze Chain Oilers, www.motobreeze.com. Well, that about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio, and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin, and of course, to you, the listener. Thank you very much. As you may have heard me say on the show before, it's built on a model of some advertising and listener support from listeners like yourself to make the whole thing work. So if you'd like, drop by our website, www.adventureriderradio.com and click on the support button. Anything $10 or more is going to get you a sticker sent back at you. Anything $50 or more will get you mentioned on our Raw show, which comes out once a month. And we also have patrons, so you can sign up for a, a monthly support payment, which would be absolutely fantastic if you would do that. Whether it's the price of a cup of coffee, a tank of fuel, whatever. Um, we're grateful for anything that uh, that you would put towards the show. Otherwise, drop by the website and check out all of our show notes for all the different shows. We've got tons of different information on there of all different people we've interviewed. It's all there for you to listen to. And don't forget, Raw is a separate show. You need to subscribe separately. It comes out once a month, and the episode for June just came out. So you might want to drop by and check that out. My name is Jim Martin. Now it's time to get out there and ride your bike. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Hi, this is Tom Metama with the Rally for Rangers Foundation, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. (laughs) 